Hill Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Would you please pray with me? Creator God, in love you beckon us to join you in playful, creative goodness. May we find our capacity for delight expanding day by day as we respond to your call. Amen. You may be seated. As we start this morning, morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes and to take a deep breath. And in this quiet, can you think of a time when you were captivated by something really wonderful, something that sparked your imagination and made you think, I want to be part of that? Maybe it was an extraordinary meal that stirred your interest in cooking, a work of music that made you long to play the piano or to sing, a sport you found challenging in just the right way that made you come alive a spreadsheet formula that elegantly solved your mathematic problem. Whatever it was, it seemed magnetically to pull your interest. Okay, open your eyes. What is it like to remember those moments, those moments of fascination, curiosity, nostalgic, sweet, maybe a little bit wistful, when I was in the second grade, we had a bookathon, and for reading a certain number of pages, I'll allow myself a little brag, I far outstripped my classmates. <laughs> I was allowed to make a little personalized plaque out of plaster of Paris, and I could write whatever I wanted on it. And I chose, in my big second grade handwriting, I, I'm not making this up, books are my life. <laughs> still have it somewhere. It's in my parents' house, I think. I guess I knew really young that I was going to need to invest in bookshelves. Uh, Books endlessly stirred my curiosity. I would go on the playground, and I would just take my books and sit on the jungle gym and read while the other kids played around me. And I, I just, there was something about reading and learning that just sparked my joy, and it set me on a path. Today, I want to talk about what it means to be human. It's a small topic. What it means to bear the divine image. And we have to start with goodness, with this magnetic pull of curiosity, this pull toward creativity that we've all experienced. Because you see, for for years, for centuries, the church has had an anthropology, a theory about what it means to be human, which focuses on sin and on wretchedness. 
Let's call it an anthropology of wretchedness. Humans are sunk in sin, lost. And the main biblical drama is how will God save humanity from our well-deserved condemnation? Right? That's the big story. But there's an alternative anthropology which we can find in scripture. Humans are created by God for goodness. We're designed with a capacity for creativity. When we say humanity bears the divine image, we mean that we share in God's overflowing creativity and that we are made for partnership with God in what God is doing, hovering over chaos to bring forth order and joy and life. And these two anthropologies lead to very different ideas of salvation. The first anthropology of wretchedness poses our problem as a matter of atonement for sin. And the metaphors are all legal, right? To be saved is to be pardoned from offenses. But the second, maybe we could call it an anthropology of creativity. The second poses our human problem as one of finding our way toward our capacity for goodness. Given that humans are made by God for creativity, well then, what will enable us to pursue that goodness? And what hinders us? Why is it that we do so often get mired and, and turned away from our passions, from what we love, from what we really feel like we're made for? And what can we do to join God in creative goodness? That will unfold into social justice uh, questions. Why is it that some people cannot pursue their God-given joys and passions? What is it that liberates people toward pursuing what they are made for? How can we as a society enable people to move in those directions? The Eastern Church has tended, uh, more than the Western Church, to stay a bit closer to this second anthropology. Uh, and out of the Eastern Church comes a model for unfolding our capacity to join God in creative goodness. Catharsis, photosis, and theosis. These three Greek words. Catharsis, meaning purging or cleansing. Photosis, which is like photosynthesis, basking in light. And then finally, theosis, which is union with God. Now, to set the stage for these three moves, and that's what we'll talk through today, catharsis, photosis, theosis. To set the stage, I want to use a metaphor uh, that I, I like to, to talk about when we're talking about human development with God. Imagine you have a piece of property at the ocean. For the purposes of my metaphor, we will need it to be East Coast property. So, sorry, sorry, Pacific Ocean. East Coast property, and you have a, a cliff on your property, a bluff that overlooks the ocean. It's beautiful, perfect spot to sit and watch the sunrise. However, it's gotten grown over with brambles and thorns and weeds and, and even beautiful native plants. It's just all screened off. You can't see the ocean. So you take a day and you clear it away. You cut out the weeds, you transplant the good plants elsewhere, and you clear the view, and you create space and, and put in a wooden bench right on that bluff. And then, having cleared space, each morning you go with your coffee or your tea and you sit and you wait for the sun to rise. Catharsis is the first moment of that metaphor. It is the, the purging, the cleansing. Uh, the only reason why you would pull out your hedge trimmers and gloves and start pulling woods on your coastal bluff is because you are stirred with the idea, magnetically pulled, by the appeal of making room for the beauty of the sunrise. We humans, being made for goodness, 
sooner or later become captivated by something wonderful, moved by something we want to be a part of, a trade, a craft, a vocation, a social cause. But that magnetic call will land on a person who, by no fault of their own, whose capacities are just not yet developed, right? You, you're inspired to play the piano, but you can't immediately sit down and start playing. Uh, you're captured by the need for racial justice, but you don't know what to do. You look at the situation, well, I don't know what to do about this. You love the idea of painting, but you've never sketched or held a brush. So the task of catharsis is to make room, to prepare us to move in a new direction. And so it's the work of discernment to ask, what creative good is moving me in this season? What would help me move toward that good? And what right now hinders me from moving toward that good? On an anthropology of wretchedness, purging can only be about identifying what you're doing wrong and stopping it, right? Uh, you're convicted of sin, and so you need to cut out ungodly behaviors. But on an anthropology of creativity, our question is, well, what would enable and, and, and what hinders me from responding to creative good? And so, yes, that may involve setting aside things that are harmful, right? There might be things in your life that you realize are, are, are really getting in the way of pursuing what you love, and then they're not helpful, they're hurting you. But also, we might discern that we need to make room for creativity by setting aside things that are perfectly fine. So it's not so much about what's bad, but about what helps, what helps me move forward here. The other thing about catharsis is that it's always going to be a personal response to a particular calling and to your individual situation. Here's what I mean. On an anthropology of wretchedness, where the big problem is how do I stop sinning, we can universalize very easily. You can make rules. Holiness is doing Y, Z, X. I've said those out of order, X, Y, Z. <laughs> and it's not doing A, B, and C. So if you're doing A, B, and C, we'll stop doing A, B, and C, right? You can make that universal very easily. But if I'm moved with the vision of learning to pay, play the piano and creating beautiful music, well, that inspiration is going to require me to ask particular questions about my life and reorder my priorities toward that goal. And it'll, it'll cause me to ask questions that wouldn't make any sense to ask if your question was, say, to baking, if your calling, rather, was, say, to baking or architecture or to computer science or to ballroom dancing. All of these many goods will require us to ask questions and to discern, and these questions have to be answered afresh by each of us for our own situation. What in my life is sparking desire, capturing interest, uh, beckoning me to contribute my energy toward creating something good? What in my life already presents opportunities for growing toward that goodness? And what in my life might be hindering me from moving toward that goodness? My point here is that if catharsis is a move of cutting out brambles and thorns and clearing space, that's, that's less because we're terrible wretches caught up in sin and more because responding to God's invitation toward creative goodness will always mean discerning how to order our lives to make room for our vocation. So, in our metaphor, once we've cleared away the brambles and the thorns, and we've opened a space to see the horizon, we can put in a bench, and each morning, day after day, go and sit and wait for the sun to rise. 
Some days might be cloudy and fog-bound and others clear and promising, but we can make it a habit to go and sit each day. And this is the movement of photosis. Photosis is making habits that allow us to bask in the light of the good that moves us so that we can become infinitely familiar with our craft. Photosis is the stage where, having made room, we now become apprentices, responding to the realities of the good we are pursuing. In his book, The Contemplative Pastor, Eugene Peterson shares about helping as a young man in his father's butcher shop, where he learned to submit himself to the authority of the cut of meat before him. Carving a quarter of beef, he writes, into, into roasts and steaks was not a matter of imposing my knife-fortified will on dumb matter, but respectfully and reverently entering into the reality of the material. Hackers was my father's contemptuous label for butchers who ignorantly imposed their wills on the meat. But the results were always unattractive and uneconomical. Real work always includes a respect for the material at hand. Just as a quarter of beef has grains and sinews, realities which must be understood in order to carve a perfect steak, so all the various kinds of good things that move us also demand apprenticeship to learn their ways. Carpenters learn to respect the wood and their tools. The mathematician learns the nature of logic and numbers and expressions. The parent watches closely to understand and respond to the unfolding personality of their child. This is what spiritual practices and routines and habits are all about, positioning us squarely to observe, to take in the realities before us so that we can respond appropriately, so we can grow our capacity to get in on this craft. On a wretchedness anthropology, practices are either A, things we have to do to curb our inclination towards sin and to be good instead, or B, in many Protestant circles, Practices are just useless because all human endeavor is sin, sin and wretchedness anyway. But on a creativity anthropology, practices are apprenticeship. They're not impressive. They're not meritorious. They're just the way we pick up the material at hand for doing good. In our first reading for today, we read Paul counsel the Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is photosis, that lovely, true, admirable goodness which captures your interest. Think about it. Think about it deeply. Make habits and routines and practices which have you interacting with that goodness and learning its ways. So listen to favorite music pieces, read books and articles, listen to podcasts about the topic, find masters in the art and learn from them. Watch YouTube videos about how to fix your garage. I don't know. These are all practices of attending. Play scales, practice carving wood and learning how it responds, shoot hoops and run drills, write drafts one after another. These are practices of embodying. Increase the weight you're lifting. Run a bit further. Stay with mystery. Rethink the situation. Sit in silence. Look again. 
These are all practices for increasing endurance. Whatever good draws us, we clear room for it in our lives. Catharsis. And we bask in its light, become students of it, practicing and practicing to increase our capacity for that creative goodness. Photosis. And then finally, theosis. Having cut away the brambles, having sat on a bench, having made our habit of going out each morning to watch for the sunrise, well, we still can't make the sunrise, right? The sun doesn't rise because you set the bench out. And like I said, some mornings are going to be foggy and chilly rain, even if it's pride. <laughs> and we can't help it if we get sick and can't go out one morning or another. But sometimes, maybe even often, the sky will be clear and the water still and the birds chirruping and the sun will gently ease itself over the horizon and will bask in its beauty and shiver with delight. Theosis is what the Eastern Church calls a state of union with God, where we've moved into creative partnership with God in what God is doing. God creator, hovering over the waters, calling goodness out of chaos. Another word for theosis, I think, is play. Play. This is the moment when all the making room and the practicing and the habit and the routine seems to drop away and you're left with just the simple delight of creating. So that it's just play. Play with God. Another Greek word, perichoresis, uh, describes this turning dance, this interweaving dance, which is the Trinity, into which suddenly you find yourself beckoned and the good that you have sought and loved just flows out of you. You see, this is the biggest difference to me between these two anthropologies we've been talking about. In an anthropology of wretchedness, at best, the aim is to stop sinning and maybe worship God for, you know, be thankful to God for saving us. And that's good, fine, okay, great. But an anthropology of creativity aims at play. Play is the highest state. The delightful freedom of capacity to bring about goodness. After rehearsing and rehearsing, simply just to release your body into the dance or the song. After the scales and the practicing, just allow your fingers to move and make beautiful music. After studying and memorizing and writing and passing accreditations to just to practice law or psychology or medicine, to write code and create programs that are elegant and effective, these states of productivity where everything just seems to go, some people call this flow, but I would suggest that these are theosis, when we're caught up in a taste of God's delighted joy and creative goodness. The mystery of theosis is that it's always gift, and yet we've always actively participated in it. That aha moment, that effortless dance, that breakthrough in therapy, that sweet, deep relationship, all these moments fill us to the brim and they feel like gift, like beyond what we could have ever expected or managed to come up with on our own, and yet all of them come about because we have slowly and over years invested our energy into becoming the sort of people who are present when the moment arrives. It really isn't easy to capture theosis in words. Uh, these moments of transcendent are so, transcendence are so palpably good and yet really hard to name. Uh, one of my favorite descriptions that I, I return to is from the no novel Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Uh, she writes, 
There was a young couple strolling ahead, half a block ahead of me. The sun had come up brilliantly after a heavy rain, and the trees were glistening and very wet. On some impulse, plain exuberance, I suppose, the fellow jumped up and caught hold of a branch, and a storm of luminous water came pouring down on the two of them. And they laughed and took off running, the girl sweeping water off her hair and her dress as if she was a little bit disgusted, but she wasn't. I don't know why I thought of that now, except perhaps because it is easy to believe in such moments that water was made primarily for blessing and only secondarily for growing vegetables or doing the wash. This is an interesting planet. It deserves all the attention you can give it. Theosis, the ability to join in on what God is doing, surely, if nothing else, involves the ability to stop and be struck by beauty. The beauty of laughter, the beauty of water cascading from a tree, and the beauty of our own human playfulness. Well, I've tried this morning to say a few things about what it means to be human. A foolishly large task, biting off more than I can chew. But these gestures of these words, uh, in, in them I hear what I think is behind Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, as we individually are enraptured by goodness, goodness which is always the creative goodness of God, we're invited to clear room to become students and apprentices basking in the reality of that goodness learning its ways, loving it, and then over time to grow our capacity to delight in doing good in all of our many unique and personal ways. An anthropology of creativity says that you are made for and capable of joining God in goodness and that the aim of salvation is playful creativity. So you're encouraged and invited to pay attention to what captures your imagination your curiosity and your interest, to discern what moves you toward that good, and then to enroll as an apprentice and dedicate practice to expanding that capacity, and above all, to enjoy the moments of play. That is what the world most needs from you, your delightful, creative, good playfulness. Whether you love to bake, which I do, to write, to solve equations, to increase the efficiency of workflows, I love me some of that, <laughs> to teach, to raise children, to sit and listen to those who are struggling, to paint, to run, to throw parties, to walk in nature and hunt for mushrooms. Whatever goodness sparks your interest and curiosity, that is the place where beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another into a people who more and more delight in our creative partnership with God. Would you pray with me? Creator God, in love you beckon us to join you in playful, creative goodness. May we find our capacity for delight expanding day by day as we respond to your call. that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, 
to consider the mystery and love of God and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Thank you.